Everybody got your Bibles. Hold your finger there at Matthew chapter 26. Now turn to Luke. Luke chapter 22. We're going to go back a little bit just to catch up real quick. Luke 22, verses, the first 13 verses. Who remembers that? Remember we were studying there and we were studying about the Passover feast. It was coming up. I don't know how many of you are here for that. But Jesus and the disciples, they were getting ready. They were heading to Jerusalem. And at this same time, we're not going to read through all the first part of this uh, Luke 22, but this is where Judas had actually betrayed Jesus to the religious leaders. And then as we studied that, we seen that Jesus had sent two of the disciples ahead to prepare for the Passover meal. You guys remember that? It's quite the story. They had to go find the man with the water jug and then go to the house. Um, very interesting, right? We saw these two disciples. We saw, we learned a lesson of faith through watching them and as they went and they prepared. So that was a message four weeks ago. Um, what about three weeks ago? Who remembers that one? Turn a little more to the right. John chapter 13 verses, the first 20 verses. Who remembers that? I remember because I washed all your feet. Yes, it was great. What a great experience. And again, as we studied that, um, do you, rem- you remember that Jesus has now arrived in Jerusalem and the Passover meal had begun, right? And then we got into that as the meal began, Jesus then showed us his wonderful lesson as he washed all the disciples' feet. So we learned an amazing lesson there. We learned from Jesus that we are to serve one another and we are to wash each other's feet. So this week, we're going to continue. So now you've got to flip back where you had your finger, back to Matthew 26. And we're going to continue this story today in Matthew chapter 26, verses 20 through 35. So I've titled this message, Last Will and Testament. What do you think? Think about that. Your last will and testament. Many of you maybe have a will. Maybe? If you don't have a will, I'm sure you would have maybe a testament of what you would like people to remember you by, or your wishes for those, for your family after you would pass from this world to go to heaven, right? Think about that. What's your last will and testament? Think about that as we get into this. You know, I'm excited. I'm excited to be back. This is my home. You know, that's that's one thing that's changed for me the longer I'm here in Myanmar, is now I'm like, this is my home. This is where my family is. This is where my friends are. This is where my church is. And I'm excited to be back. And I have to say, when I was flying here, you guys all know about all the stuff going on and the flights being canceled and the sickness. And it was getting kind of scary. I didn't know if I was going to make it back. I really didn't know what was going to take place. And uh, I was getting kind of nervous that I wasn't going to be able to go home. And it kind of it brought me to a place of knowing that this really was my home and this is where I should be. And it was really kind of neat to see that. I did enjoy my trip back to the States, of course. Um, I did have a great big steak when I was there, and I had McDonald's, and oh, Vicky's looking at me kind of funny. I had some tacos that were amazing, <laughs> and like real tacos, not the ones, and a few other things, but uh, lots of cheese and whatnot. But, you know, I had flown, Vicky's giving me nasty looks now. <laughs> so I went back there to be with my family. I think most of you know, but uh, I went back there because my grandfather had passed away. And so I went there initially to be with my family, to see how I could support my family, to try to be a light within that situation. I didn't know at the time that I would actually be leading the service. So I went back there and I actually led this, we call it a celebration of life in the States. It's a funeral. Um, they like the celebration of life. It sounds better. And it is true. That's what you should be doing. But so I led that service. And, you know, my family, I think, was really blessed by that. They were blessed by my grandpa. They were blessed by the service. Um, but, you know, I'd never done a funeral or a, or a celebration of life before. And it's interesting. Usually, you know, as a pastor, it's one thing you, you know, end up doing. 
But it's interesting, you wouldn't think your first one would be your own grandfather's in front of your own family. And I'll tell you, that's much, much harder than preaching to a bunch of strangers or people you didn't know that well. It's much harder. They all know me. Like, really know me. And not only that, I know them. So it's very difficult, and it was very hard. And uh, so it went well, though, and it was good. And I, I saw, you know, a lot of people respond to the gospel. A lot of people came up and say, I don't know what they'll do. I don't, God, I, I pray they do. But they're like, oh, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to find a church. I had one, one fellow told me he was going to quit drinking. And so it was like a lot of good things. And I didn't ask this of them, but they had mentioned it to me in the days following. But, you know, praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit obviously convicted them in some manner. And so praise the Lord. And I hope they follow through and uh, answer that call from the Holy Spirit. But I'll tell you, I'd never done a celebration of life. So, like, I don't even know how to, like, what the order of that is. You know, we changed up the service today a little bit. And I don't know what we'll do next week. A celebration of life, I don't even know where to start and begin or end. I've, ne- You know, I, I don't, there's no book on this. My grandpa made it really easy for me. He had left a last will and testament. He had left many of the details before he went to be with Jesus. This, he had taken care of all the arrangements. He, we knew where he wanted to be buried. We knew what the songs that he wanted us to sing. We know especially he picked these songs because he wanted us to remember him with these songs as that we played some, we played some and then we had some worship songs. He chose all of these things for us. He chose who he wanted to speak and what they wanted to speak on. So my grandpa, in his last will and testament, he stated all of his wishes. So it was very simple. I just followed his request as he had asked us to. My grandpa, he wanted to, he wanted to be remembered in this certain way. And so he asked us to do certain things in remembrance of him. So it was, it was good. So we sing these songs, um, you know, and I know now each time I hear these songs, I'll have a memory of him. And I remember... You know, one of the songs he said is, my, my days are short, and it's a remembrance for all of us. We never know. He did, he died a very, he lived a very long life, but we never know. So, I find it amazing, you know, because I was going to teach on this Matthew 26 before I left. This was the message, I was just going in order. And so I find it amazing how the Holy Spirit works sometimes. That I was there, and I was dealing with my grandpa and the funeral and his last will and testament, but I'm here today with a message titled, Last Will and Testament. Um, I'm teaching now, through this these passages that we're going to get in today, how Jesus has told us to remember him, and what he has informed us to do himself. Interesting, huh? So let's get into these passages. Matthew chapter 26, verse 20 and 21. Everybody got their Bibles? When it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said... I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, we just talked about it. Remember, Jesus had just finished washing the disciples' feet. Remember? The sun, sun has gone down. It's now the beginning of the celebration of Passover. They're all together to celebrate this meal. And remember, as we get into this text, in less than 24 hours, Jesus will be crucified. Just imagine that as we get into this. You know, and we see in these first two verses, I observe this, I I believe like Jesus' demeanor or his attitude was kind of serious. He's like, listen up. If you look at other versions, it says truly, truly. So it's like, listen, listen closely. I have something I want to say. Um, I, I think Jesus, he's like, he's washed their feet. He's like, disciples, men, listen. I want you to hear what I'm about to tell you. This is very serious. Jesus had just told them. He's told them one of them is going to betray him. One of them is going to sell him out. 
What would you think if someone said that to you? You're sitting in a group. I'd look at you. One of you is going to betray me. This would be pretty serious. So let's look as we continue. We're going to see the disciples' response in the next few verses. But as we see the disciples' response, I always tell you and I ask, imagine you were at that table. And Jesus is looking around. He says, one of you is going to betray me. What would your response be if you had been sitting at the table? What would you say? What would you think? Maybe you're appointing as someone. I think it's this guy. Maybe you think it's that guy. What would you do? Now, maybe would you point at someone? Remember, when you point at something, what do you? Know, what happens? Three fingers are pointing right back at you usually, right? Remember that. Let's look at verse 22. Greatly distressed, each one of them asked in turn, Am I the one, Lord? Am I the one? Now, right away, I just I see two things in that verse that I two points that I want to talk about. First, I see they were greatly distressed. Then. The other thing I see, they asked, is it me? It's amazing. They weren't pointing their fingers. So let's look at these. What does it mean to be greatly distressed? I think if you look it up, or I think each of the disciples, they were grieved. They were saddened. They were sorrowful, pained, deeply hurt that Jesus was going to be betrayed. And it's so interesting how each of them, is it me? I found this very revealing or very interesting that each of them would ask this. Is it me, Lord? Just think about that. I mean, if someone said someone in this group is going to betray someone, your first question that comes to your mind, is it me? That's not what you would normally think. You'd be like looking around, right? I mean, I'd admit it. But each of them didn't point to one of their friends or one of the other disciples. In turn, if you look at the other gospels, in turn, each of them looked at Jesus and said, Lord, is it me? Is it me? Am I the one that will betray you? I think this was very serious, very honest from the disciples. I don't, I, I really do believe this. These guys had worked with Jesus three years and yet they still had doubts. There were still some problems with faith within their own life. They each, in some way within their hearts or minds, they believed somehow that they each were possibly capable of betraying Jesus themselves. What do you think about that? This was, I I just think, really a moment of self-examination or self-reflection among the disciples. Many of us could ask that same question sometimes. What What are we capable of? What about us? We're all sitting here today. After reading this disciples' personal wandering of their faith, or their lack of faith, I thought about my own walk as a Christian. Would I ever turn from Jesus at some point? What do you think about that? Think about that question. What could lead to someone turning away from Jesus? What, maybe some outside force or something happening or a situation. What would cause you to ever turn from Jesus? Serious question. I've known people that I believe, or say, born-again Christian, that have turned away from Jesus. I know people. And it, Most of the times I've seen it, it's in the times of sickness. Why does this happen to me? Times of a loss of a loved one, maybe a sick child, a death of a child, some pretty serious things. They've turned from their faith in Jesus. I'm not saying they're not saved. Don't mistake that. But they have turned at the time being from serving their Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I think each of these disciples in this moment, in some which way, saw something deep within themselves that caused them to have doubt in their commitment to follow Jesus. You know, as I think about that, we got to ask ourselves, you know, we live in a fallen world. These things are going to happen to us that I just mentioned. Difficult things are going to happen to us. I hope it doesn't, but we just heard about John and Lynn. That's some difficult times. Are we prepared within our own selves, foundationally? Do we know the truths in the Bible, truly knowing who God is and who we are? So when these times happen that could cause us to stumble, that we will to stand fast on that foundation of faith. How is that foundation of yours? Is it built on God's word, the Bible? 
Because that's the only place that it's going to stand solid when we face these times that can be difficult. I'm not sure if any of us can answer this question completely truthfully. You know, how we're going to react in a certain situation. I mean, we don't know that. I mean, we can pray and we can hope that if these difficult times would come to us, that we would stand strong in our faith and cling on to God and cling on to God's word. But I'll tell you what, it doesn't always seem to work that way. It doesn't. A friend of mine I know, his son got cancer. This guy was a solid Christian. He led, led at the church, one of the elders. His son got cancer. I tell you what, he struggled for many, many years questioning how that could happen. He's back now, and he's worked that out with God. But it was some hard times for him, very difficult times. So, you know, there's people that's walked through this, and I think if you hear people that's walked through very difficult times and have questioned their own faith at times and, and had questions arise, that's normal for us, right? We're humans. This is not abnormal. And I talk about this, and some people kind of would want, you know, how could you lose faith in God? You know, this is real. We need to hear testimonies from you out there that have walked through things where your faith has wavered. What held you strong? What doctrinal truths you held on to? How God used people? Uh, I don't know. We need to hear testimonies about that because you know what? We're all going to walk through difficult times. So I don't know. I'd love to hear how you remained in faith and how you stood strong in Christ as you walked through amazing, just difficult times. Let's continue. Let's look at verses 23 and 24. Jesus is replying now as they've asked, am I the one Lord? So Jesus replying, He replied, one of you who has just eaten from this bowl with me will betray me. Verse 24, for the son of man must die as the scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Wow. You know, as I read this, there's a lot of questions that came to my mind as I look at these two verses. Um, you know, the first question I kind of came up with is what did Jesus mean when he said the one who has eaten from this bowl will be the one that betrays him? What does that mean exactly? Because I think there's some confusion in the scriptures or not in the scripture, but in the people interpreting the scripture, what this means. And I tell you, Jesus, when he said this is simply stating that someone at that table that he is eating with was one that would betray him. That's it. This is. You know, it was custom at the time, and this was Passover meal. So, you know, you, this was unleavened bread. Think about that, right? It's a cracker, basically. I have one up here. We're going to look at it later. But you would take that, and you would dip it. And it I looked at it. A lot of it was like a fruit sauce. And you would dip it in, and you would eat it. That's it. Um, you know, after all, I mean, just think about that dry bread. You'd want something on it. So all Jesus is saying here is someone at the table who is eating with me at my own table, which is very personal, is one that's going to betray me. This is not, this verse is not a reference to them taking the Lord's Supper. Alright? This is important. This, this hasn't happened yet. We're gonna see that in the next few verses. But this hasn't happened yet. This is only that is one that is eating with them at the table, partaking in the Passover dinner though. So I, I believe as I read this and I see this, this strong rebuke about the person, I believe that Jesus in some way was really trying to speak to Judas. What do you think about that? He knew who Judas, he knew it was Judas. Judas knew it was him. Judas knew he was speaking to him. I believe Jesus was trying to speak to him, warning him about what he was about to do, or maybe warning us. I don't know. I, I read one thing. I said it would. It said it would be good for that person if they had never been born. That to be born and live and reject God's provision for their salvation, you'd be better off if you've never been born to reject God's love. Think about that. I just. I find it just. I don't know. Amazing. I want to turn real quick to Psalm. I think some of us have dealt with this. Before, as we turn to Psalm, 
I want you to think about this. Many of us have dealt with this. Many of us have had close friends, right? Many of us have been betrayed in some way, um, had our trust. How many here have had a close friend and had your trust broken with someone? I think most of us have dealt with that in some way. This is what Jesus was dealing with. He loved Judas. Judas was his friend, but Judas is betraying him. Think about that. Look at Psalm 41, 9. Even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one I shared my food, has turned against me. This betrayal by his friend, it's not new to us. It happens in the world we live in. All of us have faced this at some point in some way in our lives, but it's hurtful. It's hard to walk through at times. It's hard to deal with, especially even within the church at times. You know, I can... I'm, I could share stories. I'm sure each, many of you could share stories that would bring tears to your eyes still today talking about some difficult situation that's happened to you, about friends and relationships broken. And we can reflect on it, the hurt that's came from this. But I, I just found it so interesting as I read this that Jesus, he knew, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what had to happen, right? This had to happen. It was already foretold. Look in Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53, verses 8. And nine, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong, and he had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal. He was, he was put in a rich man's grave. Jesus knew all of this. He knew what was going to take place. Yet I believe in some which way he still had a desire to warn Judas, almost kind of pleading with him not to betray him. Jesus loved Judas. What an example that I see from Jesus in this, just knowing this, and yet he still loved him. Let's look at verse, back and go back to Matthew chapter 26. Let's look at verse 25. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, Rabbi, am I the one? Jesus, you know, it's we don't know how this works in his sovereignty. We don't. But Jesus is allowing, allowing Judas a chance to turn from this betrayal. We know it couldn't have happened, but it's, it's weird. But Jesus, he, he doesn't want this to happen, but he knows it's got to happen. I don't know. But he wanted Judas to know. He wanted us to know. He knew what was going to take place. He's letting him know this. But instead, what happened? Did Judas, did he repent? No. Interesting, to get the rest of this story as we're in Matthew 26, we've got to turn to John 13 to pick up the story. So turn your Bibles over to John 13, because in Matthew's account, it doesn't say what happened to Judas. But if you turn to John's account in, in 13.30, we're going to read uh, 30 through 35, we see what happens after Jesus asks this question. In verse 30, so Judas left at once, going out into the night. Verse 31, as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said... The time has come for the Son of Man to enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of his Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I have told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I'm going. So now I'm giving a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. You don't see that part in, in Matthew. You don't see that Judas got up and left. It's very 
Interesting. Now, it's a little difficult when you start looking at the different Gospels and look at the different timelines and trying to get them together and find out exactly how these events took place. But it, it's neat to read that and understand what's going on there. Um, I believe that we see after Jesus has confronted the betrayer, Judas, Judas has left, right? Now, Judas has left. Now, Jesus and John, we see, then he just has his true followers with him. And this is where he gives this new commandment of love. And then he continues to teach the disciples. Now, Judas has left. And this is when we get into the Lord's Supper. I believe Judas was not present for the Lord's Supper. There is different opinions on this, I will tell you. There are. Some would believe maybe he was. I don't believe he was. And I just want to show you that through John, where he had got up and left right before the Lord's Supper. So we're going to be in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. So please turn there. As they were eating. So now Judas has left. They're continuing in the Passover dinner, right? Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, take this and eat it for it is my body. You know, I think as we read this verse, we see some clear steps how Jesus broke the bread. You see that in that verse? This made it all the way from my house, not being broken. So first thing you see, right? This breaking of bread. When was it done? Look at the verse. When was it done? It was done during an intimate time of fellowship. No different than right now. This is a time of fellowship. Next thing you see is Jesus took the bread. And he actually, if you look at tradition, he lifted the bread up and he praised God and thanked God. Right? Then if you keep going, you see, what do you see in the prayer when he thanked God? I see two parts. I see, hmm, lift up, praised God and thanked God. That's what I see. And then after he said this blessing of praising and thanks, he then broke the bread into pieces and then passed it out. Then after the bread had been passed out, Jesus instructed the disciples to eat the bread as he taught about it being his body. We're going to do that. We're going to take communion. We're going to do this just as the scriptures have said. And so please pray with me. And so Jesus took the bread and he lifted it up and he praised God. Heavenly Father, we just give you thanks, Lord. We give you thanks that your body was broken, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord, that you've given us this opportunity to share in this with you, that you've given this chance to remember you in this, Lord, that we've given a chance to acknowledge what you've done. Lord, we just praise you and thank you, Lord. And Lord, you just it's just amazing to me, the creator of everything that we know, space, time, existence, life itself, has came to this earth as a man and allowed his body to be broken for each one of us. We just thank you, Lord, and praise you for this opportunity to remember what you've done for us, that your body was broken. In Jesus' name, amen. Then he broke the bread. Jesus has informed us to do this in remembrance of him. You know, in a a traditional Passover feast, the head of the table, it it was common. You would take the bread up and you would bless it. And now the bread before in the Passover meal, it was called the bread of affliction. You guys remember the story of Passover and why we celebrate it? Remember why it's unleavened bread? This is the, this was to celebrate the freedom that they had. The freedom first from the firstborn, the Passover. Remember they painted the doorpost. So it was a freedom from that. And then also it was a freedom from their slavery in Egypt. So they did this. Uh, you know, everything at the Passover meal was symbolic and it, it was the old covenant that God had given them. But now Jesus is taking this old covenant and changing it. He's making it new. He's completing the old and now a new covenant. It's just absolutely amazing to me uh, what we see here in this. Please pray with me as the bread has continued to be passed out. Heavenly Father, as we see this example in your scripture, 
of the bread being broken, of you lifting it up, Lord, and you giving praise, you giving thanks, Lord. But as we observe this, as you have commanded us to do in this new covenant, Lord, we just thank you, Lord. We thank you that we're free, that you, Lord, allowed yourself to be broken. We can just look back and just reflect on the promise that's made through this, Lord, that we are free. We're free from the penalty of our sins. Lord, we thank you, and we look at your word, and we follow that, and just thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at verse 27 and 28. And he took the cup of wine. Got a cup over here. Imagine you're at the Passover meal. Jesus is sitting there. He takes the cup of wine, and he gives thanks to God for it. He gave it to them and said, Each of you drink from it, for this is my blood which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. So now that, realize, we took the bread, right? And we're immediately taking this cup. But if you look at the passage, if you look how it worked, this wasn't something that happened immediately. They had taken the bread, then they had continued with their Passover meal. Then, I don't know if it's a half hour or 45, I don't know the time exactly, but then later again now, Jesus is taking the cup, probably the third cup, and raising it, and then saying this. So we have this here. We're going to pour. I was going to pass the cup around, but I had some objection to that. They will pass that out. Now, as you see, first thing he does is he raises the cup up, like we have here. He raises the cup of wine, and he gives thanks to God. We see that. Then he passes the cup around, informing each person to drink while explaining the new covenant. You see that in the verse? Explaining that his blood would be poured out as a payment for our sins. As they pass that out, what does that mean? I mean, we're told, we all are familiar with this. We're told to take the Lord's Supper. We're told that his blood is the confirmation of the covenant between God and us. But what does that mean? What is this covenant? What does it mean? What's a covenant? The covenant is it's a New Testament or an arrangement, a compact, a promise. It's forgiveness of our sins. Think about this. Forgiveness of your sins. It's remissions of our sins. It's being delivered from our sins. It's being released from our sins. It's being pardoned from the penalty of our sins. We are freed from our sins. This is making our sins as they never happened in God's eyes. Think about that. Jesus, if you look at this text... Jesus himself in this text is giving thanks for his own death. Think about that. Is that what, is that juice is being passed out? Jesus himself is saying, do this in remembrance of me. He has given thanks to God for his own crucifixion. This is what Jesus is giving praise for here. The breaking of his own body, the pouring out of his own blood, so each one of us could have freedom from our sins. It's just amazing. Then he says to do this in remembrance of this promise. And he says to continue to do this in remembrance, to continue to take the Lord's Supper or communion until his second coming. So we do that, right? Is it still being passed? I want you to turn to Jeremiah. It'd be on the screen if you have your hands full with the juice. Jeremiah 31, 31. As you're holding that juice representing the blood of Christ, you're holding that cup representing his body that it was poured out of. As we read this verse, I want you to think very much. Just think about this. Verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. 
I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This is what we are remembering, this promise. Isn't that just beautiful? When you look at that, look at that verse. It's just beautiful. It's the most beautiful passage. I love it. In another translation I read, it says, for us to share this cup among ourselves, to share the promises of Jesus with each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we obey this commandment here, Lord, to take communion, to take the Lord's Supper, some would call it a Eucharist. Lord, we just remember it was your blood that was poured out. It was your blood that's covered our sins. Nothing we could ever do could do this. It was only your the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, your sinless life being brought to the cross, being placed on there, your body broken, your blood poured out, providing a final covenant. Filling that covenant for a new covenant, just the final washing of our sins, Lord. And in your eyes, we are righteous. It's because of this blood. So we look at this scripture and we see this ordinance that you've given us, Lord, to take this juice, this wine, in remembrance of what you've done for each one of us. And it says here, I will, you have put your instructions deep within us. You've written them on our hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people, Lord. We do this in remembrance of you, Lord, and thanks of you, in worship of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's look back to Matthew 26, verse 29. Mark my words. I will not drink wine again until the day I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We read that. What is Jesus speaking of? A new kingdom. What is that? What is he speaking of? He's not going to drink again until this new kingdom. You know what this is? Jesus... He's waiting for each of us right now. He's in heaven, and each one of us will join in the marriage supper of the Lamb. If you want to read about that, it's in Revelation 19. But each day, one of us will join with us. When he comes, when that rapture happens, we will join him in that marriage supper of the Lamb, and then there will be a fine banquet, a wedding feast. That's what he's talking about here. And then he will drink again with all of us there with him at the table. Amazing. We will join in that feast with Jesus in heaven, and and Jesus will drink and feast with all of us. Can you imagine that? It's a beautiful picture, and he's waiting for each one of us. This is what we're, as we are drinking that juice and we're taking that bread, that's one of the things we're observing. That's our hope. It's what we're promised. Look at verse 30. Then they sang a hymn and went out to the Mount of Olives. Imagine this, right? This verse kind of kind of gets skipped through sometimes. Can you put yourself in this picture? Imagine you're the disciples. You've just taken the, they don't know exactly what they've really just done, but they've just taken the first communion, the first Lord's Supper to say, right? That they're with Jesus. They've had this betrayal thing happen. They've had the Lord's Supper. They've had this promise. And now they're walking with Jesus back to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, just think of this. Jesus is leading them in worship, in song, singing the Psalms as he's going to face crucifixion the next day. And Jesus is leading them in worship by singing the Psalms. Could you imagine that walk? What a beautiful, just beautiful. Today, we're doing things a little different. We're going to get a little more studying to do. But at the end of the service, we're going to play one of the Psalms that they probably sang. We don't know for sure which one exactly for sure. But I think we get pretty close. And so we're going to play that today uh, at the end of the service. And uh, just know that it, I think it's Psalm 116 is what we're going to play today. And uh, the worship team wasn't prepared to do that, so we're going to play a video. Um, Aaron will probably have to get that ready as I'm talking. It's on uh, the messenger. I forgot to get that ready. So he's going to work amazingly back there. But let's continue and finish up here. Let's look at verses 31 through 34. On the way. Okay, wait. So they did the communion, right? 
They're singing songs. They're singing hymns. And now they're walking, right? And then on the way, Jesus told them, Tonight, all of you will desert me. For the scriptures say, God will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter declared, Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. I love Peter. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter. This very night before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. What a night, huh? Amazing. You know, as I I read other passages and different translations relating to this, and what he's saying is the disciples would be so offended by what was going to take place, they would be stumbled. They would desert Jesus. They would distrust him, and they would fall away because of what Jesus had done. Think about this. Jesus, because of what has taken place, what he's allowed to take place, has stumbled the disciples to the point of them deserting him. This is just after they were singing hymns and songs and taking place in the Lord's Supper. Do you think this could happen today? Is there any teachings or things that Jesus would say that could stumble people today? They would fall away? I think so, because people ha- sometimes have a different idea of really who they think Jesus should be. Sometimes people fall away from the church because they can't accept the truth of who Jesus is and what he truly teaches. They have different ideas. This is amazing. This is the reaction of Jesus' closest followers because of what Jesus was going to do. Look at our last verse, verse 35. No, Peter insisted, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Peter gives us an example we can definitely learn from, doesn't he? He's good for that. We've got to be careful. A little bit of pride going on there, I think, with Peter. A little bit of pride. We must be careful making extreme statements like Peter here, right? I was reading one commentary, and it said it this way. Peter made a big one. That's his statement there. Decide his best intentions, he couldn't keep that, what he said. He might have been better to say, Lord... When I fail, and I probably will, please forgive me and keep me close to you. That would have been much more honest, but a lot less dramatic. Not really Peter's style, right? I want to close just with a few points. I think there's something I noticed here. We saw a betrayal, but we also saw some deserting Jesus. Is there a difference? See a big difference there between a betrayal and someone falling away? Because Judas betrayed Jesus. The other 11, what happened? What's the difference? They fell away. They denied Jesus. Peter's going to deny Jesus three times. They, these 11 were stumbled by what Jesus had done. He's been going to be put on the cross. I see a, a huge difference between Judas's betrayal and the other 11 denying Jesus. I love it. You love that sound? So the difference is, is Judas had never came to a true faith in Jesus. While the others had faith in Jesus, but they had stumbled. There was a difference. Um, looking at the Lord's Lord's Supper, as we have observed that today, I was reading a study Bible. How do I teach on this? The blood, the bread. I mean, you could. I mean, you could just go and teach so many different things. And I, I read a study Bible, and it kind of summed it up just quickly for us. It said, "This is how we remember what Jesus did for us. As we eat the bread, we should remember how Jesus was broken, pierced, and beaten for our redemption. As we drink the cup." We should remember that his blood, his life, was poured out on Calvary for us, for each one of us. So to be clear, the bread and the wine or the juice, it doesn't become Jesus' body or blood. Please don't mistake that. I know there's some people that believe that. I do not believe that's biblical. 
But scripturally, we can understand that the juice and the cup, it's, it's not just mere symbols. It is more than that. It may not become his actual blood and body, but it is more than just more symbols. This is very powerful pictures for us to see, to recognize what's been done for each one of us as we observe the Lord's Supper. The new Passover, it's called. So Jesus, in these passages today, he changed the celebration and the meaning of Passover. He gave us a new ordinance. He has asked us in remembrance to do this for what he would do here for us. So at first it started with the saving of the firstborn and the freeing of Israel from the Egypt. Now it's changed. The new covenant we have here today of Jesus freeing each one of us from our sins by allowing his body to be broken for each one of us, for his blood to be poured out for payment for each one of our sins forever. This old covenant, it was fulfilled with Jesus' death and his resurrection. Each one of us now, every one of us that has accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, are now freed from the penalty of our sins and the power of sin. And this is why we do this, to remember what Christ has done for each one of us. So, you know, I thought of that. I mean, there's so much there. But I just ask one question, just one application for today. Are we walking in that today? Are you out there walking a life knowing that you are freed from the power of sin? You are no longer a slave to sin. He no longer has power over you. Are you walking today in victory over that? We are redeemed. We are free. We must remember that when we take communion. I think it's, I mean, it's just an amazing promise that we have there. But we need to walk in it. We are not defeated. Do not go out defeated. Heavenly Father, as we just come before you and thank you in remembrance of what you've done for us and the promises you've gave for us, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. And we just accept this gift. We accept this gift in faith of what you've done for us. Let us walk out of here remembering the power that's in us, Lord. The power of your Holy Spirit and the freedom that we have through this today. In Jesus' name, amen.